I'm not sure if you've ever sat for a minute and wondered about where David, the psalmist David, found all the time to do what he did in the kingdom. 75 of 150 psalms are authored by him, the multitude of stories, the myriad of experiences, the massive impact that he had on Israel's history comes as a result of his life experiences and his response to God allowing him to walk through circumstances in his life. We know that the book of 1 Samuel introduces us to the prophet Samuel. Pastor Matt preached about that a little bit this morning, but how that God's presence begins to move amongst Israel by the power of the prophet. And then coming alongside that prophet is this young man, and in his private place of private preparation in that sheepfold, God prepares him for the purpose that God has destined him for. His faithfulness in those places of the sheepfold got God's attention. And while Saul was negligent on the throne, David was diligent in the sheepfold. His constant worship and praise gained God's ear. And while Saul was ignorant of the goodness of God, God looks past the throne room of Israel and finds the shepherd boy who had a, had a heart that was after the heart of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, the prophet has presented himself to the household of Jesse and they all wait while David is called from the field to the waiting prophet to be anointed king. And it doesn't take long for God to begin to use this new protege. He's sent with food for his brothers in 1 Samuel 17 who are on the front lines fighting for Israel. When Goliath's roar doesn't frighten the shepherd boy who's already destroyed the lion and the bear. He marches onto the field and David's willingness to fight for the right, the cause, pushes him into the public eye on the battlefield with Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. With one stone and a sling defeating the great threat to Israel, he is propelled into prominence. His popularity has pushed him from his boyhood home. But now, just a few chapters later, the pettiness and jealousy of King Saul has pushed him from his own people. The anointed man takes and makes a trip to the camp of the enemy. Now, if I were just to give you a little backstory between 1 Samuel chapter 17 and 1 Samuel chapter 21, you'd find that that David has been on a bit of a journey. He's confused by his surroundings. He's disheartened by his observations. He's done nothing wrong. First, he's given a seat at the king's table because... Of his prominence, he is the mighty warrior that took down Goliath. He was appreciated for his talents and his abilities, but then he was hated for them. He found out that the seat was only so Saul knew where he sat and knew where to throw the javelin. And then he has to escape from soldiers that are sent to his own home. He is let down from the window and Michael, his wife, runs interference and David flees first to the prophet. Samuel, but Saul puts word out and then finds him there. Surely God's going to be good to me here. David's confidence meets the crossroads and is shattered when Saul's men come to take his life. But when they show up, they become powerfully anointed preachers, not just the first group, not just the second group, but then Three times, the soldiers that Saul sends to take David's life 
become prophets in the, in the vicinity of Samuel, and they begin to prophesy. And then, as David watches, no doubt with confusion and consternation, and as his confidence is being eroded, Saul steps into that environment and then lays on the floor and prophesies. I don't know about you, but if there was someone that was searching and seeking my life, not just one time, two times, three times, but then on the fourth time. And everybody that came to take my life, if they showed up here at CCC and God put them on the platform. And then they became the powerful preacher. I don't know about you, but I'd, I'd probably head out that back door right out there. I wouldn't even walk through the crowd. I wouldn't go out into that uh, parking lot. I wouldn't take the time to greet and any of you, I would find myself heading for the most quiet exit I could find. If all of a sudden the people that were seeking to take my life, God allowed them to be on the platform and to prophesy. I, I don't know, but if you just begin to think with me that, that David's confidence is slowly being eroded. He doesn't understand what's, ha what's happening. He doesn't understand what God's doing. He's been faithful over a few things, and now shouldn't God make him ruler over many things? And, and David finds himself in this precarious position, but he's still trying to do the right thing. So he leaves the prophet of Samuel's house, and, and he goes to find the priest. And he goes to <clears throat> the priest, and, and Ahimelech gives him bread. But there uh, with Ahimelech is Doeg the Edomite, and, and he knows that David knows that his loyalty lies with Saul, so... David doesn't know where to go. He's already left his home. He's already left the palace. He's already left Samuel's place. And now he's there with the priest and he's got to leave there. He looks at his options. He considers all of the places that he's been. He doesn't know what God is doing. And David, the mighty warrior, the faithful man of God, after God's own heart, does the unthinkable. The son of covenant goes to make an allegiance with those outside of covenant. And 1 Samuel chapter 21 brings us to the story that I'd like to just talk for a few moments about tonight. It said, and David arose and he fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said unto him, is not this David, the king of the land? Isn't this, this is what they say, isn't the one, this the one that they, they sing one to another of? Saying, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands? Isn't this the guy that God anointed? Isn't this the guy that God appointed? Isn't this the one that took down our mighty Goliath? Is this that David? And now that David has left the people of Israel and he's left the palace of Saul and he's left the, the household of Samuel and he's left the priesthood of Amalekh and he has come here. He's come here amongst the Philistines. We sometimes just glance over scripture and we, we don't stop to think of how David must have been feeling in these moments. Didn't they say of him, Saul slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And there in the words of his very own enemy, David, hears the promised prophetic fulfillment of his life eroding. Isn't this that guy? And the Bible says, and David laid up these words in his heart. He said there was something about when those people, the Philistines, began to recollect of who he was. 
Isn't this the guy they sang the great songs about? Isn't this the guy that, that, that stood in victory? Isn't this the guy that took away Goliath's sword and spirit? Isn't this that guy? And David, I don't know if you can imagine what he must have felt like, but the Bible says that he was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. You see, fear moved in where faith once had dwelt. Doubt moved in where confidence had sat. He, he now didn't know where to turn, and he now didn't know what to do. He, he's standing here, and, and I'm sure that he had a bit of an awakening. What am I doing here? Why am I in this place? I've just left everything that I know. I've left Dad. I've left, I've left Saul. I've left Jonathan. I, I've left Samuel. I've left, I, I've just, I've left Ahimelech. I, here I am. What am I doing here? I, I don't know if you've ever questioned why you're where you are. And all kinds of circumstances bring us to the crossroads where our confidence becomes uncertain. And it says David laid those words up in his heart. That heart that was after the heart of God was now filled with doubt and fear. The Bible says, and he was sore afraid. And he changed his behavior before him. All of a sudden, he's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And he didn't know what to do. He just resorts to the, the lowest common denominator of human activity. And he literally makes himself, the Bible says, mad before them. He changed his behavior and he feigned himself mad in their hands. And he scrabbled on the door of the gate and let his spittle fall down his beard. And Achish said to his servant, Lo, you see, the man is mad. Wherefore then have you brought him to me? Have I need of mad? Am I in need of madmen? Why would you bring him to me? That why'd you bring this fellow here to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? I'm not going to even let him near me. I don't want him near my family. I don't want him near my kids. I, I don't want. I, I, and, and David is ushered out of the presence of the Philistines because he's acting like a mad man. He's literally turned himself into into somebody that's not in his right mind. He, he, his feigned madness, he's, he's just screaming and letting spittle fall off his beard. Now, I can't imagine what that may have looked like. But somewhere in the middle of all that madness, in the presence of his enemy, and I, that's where I, I just, sometimes I stop to think, it's like, where did David find the time to, in the middle of that moment, he may have been feigning mad, but on the inside, he had got some clarity and direction. He may have been on the outside saying, this is what i got to do right now because I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. But, but somewhere in the middle of all that mess that was going on in David's life, he had a moment of clarity. It's in these moments, in this moment that I don't know if David had a pen somewhere. I don't know if he just kind of put it in his mind until he had a chance to write the words. But the Bible tells us at the heading of Psalm chapter 56 that this Psalm of 56 was written when he had been taken prisoner by the people of Gath. When he was taken prisoner by the very people that he had triumphed over. And when he had found himself in that lowest estate, David. David found some confidence in God. In the midst of all the circumstances that surrounded him. That had pushed him to the very extreme on the outside of Israel. On the outside of God's purpose and plan for his life. All of a sudden, David finds some clarity of mind. It's given this title, it's called the Golden Psalm, a Golden Psalm of David. To the chief musician, this is the instructions that's given. And I don't know if you've got your Bible, but if you were there in Psalm chapter 56, it says that this is the psalm that David wrote when the Philistines took him in Gath. That, that this psalm was written, and it said to that chief musician, they said, this is how we want you to play this song. There, there's some instructions that's given, and, and this is where we got the title tonight. It says, 
It says, to the chief musician upon, Jonath ele rekohim. It means the silent dove in distant places. And somewhere along with all the words, and we'll go through them in just a moment, that David wrote, there was this tagline that was attached to it. They said, if you're going to sing this song, then this is how we want the song to be sung. When, when this song is thought about, David said, I want you to remember, there's something about this psalm that's different. It's about a silent dove in a distant place. I, I don't know if you know much about <clears throat> birds or not. I don't. I don't know a whole lot about birds. I remember when COVID hit and we were all stuck in the house in March, that amongst the staff, I kind of sent a note out and said, let's see who can find the most birds in their yard. I remember there was a few pictures. We had, <clears throat> we had some red cardinals that had showed up. I was kind of excited. It's, you know it's a low day when you're excited about red cardinals. I don't know a whole lot about birds. I'm not much of a bird watcher. I don't, <clears throat> I don't know much about them. But I do know that doves aren't exactly the most brutal of birds. They, they don't, um, they're not very stealthy. They're not very... Uh, you know, they're, they're, they don't have the, the presence of a hawk that when you see it, you kind of look with the, the majesty. They don't have the, you know, that presence of an owl that when you see an owl, you're kind of in awe because we don't see a lot of owls. It's just, David says, this is what I want you to think of when you, you read this psalm or when you, when you sing this psalm. Think of the silent dove in distant places. Doves really don't come to the forefront of the bird world for us, do they? I, I don't know much about them. I, I do know that where my daughter lives, that there's some hawks, some big hawks. I sat in the barber chair, and the barber told me that one of his chihuahuas had got eaten by an owl, or attacked by an owl. And I'm in, my daughter's got this little dog. And I'm like, Chris, you got to be careful with Luna. Luna's the dog's name, not somebody's name. I said, but when you let her out, there's, there's some big hawks around there. I look up and, and there's this big power line, and that great big power truss that holds the line up. I, I, I've looked up in that truss before, and there in the rungs of that truss is this great big huge hawk. I said, you got to be careful about those hawks. And I began to do a little research. I said, don't just let her run down in the, in the lawn. I love, uh, I love finding new ways to scare my kids half to death. So I was doing a little research, I, I found out that sometimes people will put these owls, these plastic owls, on their step to ward off all the other birds of prey. And I said, why don't, why don't we get one of those? And sure enough, before we left, there was this plastic owl from Amazon on the step. And uh, we filled it up with stones, and, and now whenever I'm there for a visit, I move the owl around. <laughs> Make sure that we... Let the birds of prey know that this isn't just a plastic owl. It's got these glass eyes and we move the owl around so that it, I don't know, I, I don't know if it creates, at least it makes us all feel better. Um, I don't know what, what that does, but, but you know, I don't really, I don't see on Amazon where they've got plastic doves to set on the step to ward off birds of prey. I think that would welcome them. But David, in the midst of this harsh environment with the enemy, he didn't pick any other bird. He said, let, let me just fall silent and let God fight my battle for me. 
He didn't, he didn't kind of come out with the war cry that he did on the battlefield with Goliath. But he said, you know, right here, right now, I, I've got this song. And in that moment, God gives him a song. A song to sing when trouble comes his way. And a, a song that in the midst of everything that's falling down in David's life, God says, David, I'm going to give you a song. And, and from then on, that song was sang in a very particular manner with a very particular measure. It said, the silent dove in distant places. Doves can be, you know, a, a little bit noisy, but not, not ever going to really keep us all awake. We've got some crows around here that um, I know I like to shoot. But since I can't carry anything more than a BB gun that shoots less than 500 feet per second, I, <clears throat> that's kind of out of the question. But sometimes I'll come into church and all I hear is this, ha, 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 ha. And that's about the time that I just want to slide the window open. But this quiet, the silent dove in distant places was David saying, you know what? When, when, when you get to this place in life, when you get to this season where you don't know where else to turn, and all the voices seem so loud in your life, when, you, when you've just kind of done yourself wrong, when you've, when you've just kind of disappointed your own self, he said that it's in those seasons that, that you can begin to look to God, and God's going to be the help that you need him to be. And we haven't even read the psalm yet, but, but we're going to get there in a second. But I, I just want someone to know that I don't know where you are in your life right now or in the season that you're walking through, but God wants someone to know that he's not finished writing your story. <laughs> David said this in Psalm 56, be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they being many would fight against me, O thou most high. He said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. You see, he goes from a place of fear to a place of praise. So the first lesson that we want to remind ourselves out in this psalm is that if we're in a place where we are fearful, then God wants us to move out of that place into a place of praise. God wants someone to know that it's not over until God says that it's over. And he said, in God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger, cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. In God will I praise his word. And, and you, you, you see the shift begin to happen in David's life. And it's a powerful song on its own. But when you realize that song was sung right in the presence of Gath, right in the presence of the Philistines that have come and they've come to question David and question his motives, that, that in the midst of that mess, David gets a song from God, and David goes from fear to a place of faith. God, David goes from a place where he, he feels absolutely and utterly defeated. He's saying, oh, you don't know what I know. I, I, I get my help, and it's coming from the Lord. 
In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. And he goes, if you'll think back to 1 Samuel 21, it said that he was sore afraid of the king. And he goes from being sore afraid of the king to having a powerful praise in a mighty God. I just love it when God turns the tables. Before he ever turns the tables out here, God turns the tables in here. God turns the tables in our mind. God turns the table in our heart. God turns the tables in our spirit. And we've got to have victory here before we ever walk it out out there. But if you will just trust in God, I have this assurance and I've got this confidence back. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. I don't know who's come against you. I don't know whose words hurt you. But this is what I know. We've come to trust in God. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling? That I may walk before God in the light of the living. What a song. What a psalm David writes. It's as though the psalmist encourages himself in the midst of the situation. That serious oppression and attack that, that could completely take every shred of dignity and future away from David turns when he begins to see and trust in God. It's that quiet song that comes. Sometimes it's not that loud song. And, and uh, we didn't collaborate on the music choices tonight. But I, I just want someone to know that you can say hello to peace. And hello joy. And hello love. That there's a transition that God wants to make in this room tonight in somebody's life. That you may have walked in without any hope, but you're going to walk out full of hope today. It's just the song that comes. It's that quiet dove in a distant land that, that you begin to hear their song. It doesn't seem like it's all that mighty. It doesn't feel like it's all that uplifting. But if you'll just let God begin to sing that song, he's going to turn the table for you in your life. We can come back to the music tonight. You see, in the beginning, there's talk of enemies pursuing David all day long, Psalm chapter 56, verses 2 and 3. But in the end, the danger seems to have resolved. And he says, God has delivered my soul from death and my feet from falling. It's possible now, David said, I'm going to walk before God in the light of life. I'm going to walk into the future that God has for me. It's a critical milestone in David's life, in his history. He's still young. He's still learning that God is going to fight his battles for him. And God literally has to take everything away from David. Everything. He takes his home. He takes his prophet. He takes his priest. God takes everything away until the only thing left is him. None of us want to walk that road. But I would say that in every Christian's life, there is a season where God takes you on that journey. Where he strips everything away until it's you and him. Standing. But it's in that moment, can I tell you, that some of the most powerful songs that you'll ever sing will be sung. Some of the most powerful moments that God wants to bring you happens in those moments. The unforgettable seasons. And here we are, thousands of years later, and we're still singing the song that David wrote in the company of the people of Gath. Aren't you grateful that God can give us a song? You see, when God takes everything else away in our lives, He doesn't take away the song. I read some 
smart theologians did some study on that chapter. They said that the particular, the peculiar structure of the song shows the transition from a plea for grace to a promise of praise. I love that sentence. Because sometimes you think that you're so low and it's an impossibility that you are just pleading, God, please just give me grace for today. God, I, I've done the wrong thing. I, I, I've followed the wrong path. I, I left the wrong people. I, I came to the wrong place. I did the... And you're just in that place where you begin to plead. Say, God, grace. I'm just, I'm just calling for grace in this moment. Can I tell you that God can take that moment and turn it into a place of praise for you today. The structure of the psalm shows the transition from a plea for grace to a promise of praise. I will praise you. If you took time to look at the dove through scripture, he's, it's there. It's there during the flood, the last days of the great flood when the earth is covered. Noah doesn't send the owl out. He doesn't send the hawk out. He sends the dove out. The dove returns. The Bible says, I'll skip to the punchline, that, but that freshly picked olive leaf. From then on, the dove is regarded as a symbol of peace and a symbol of hope and a symbol of new life. Hello, peace. The dove's there in Mosaic Law, the second piece, uh, the second time that we see the dove in a symbolic nature is there in Scripture. It's, it's where doves and turtle doves were the only birds that could be offered as acceptable sacrifices because of their perceived purity. There were symbols of purity and symbols of promise, symbols of hope. The dove was a symbol for purity. The Old Testament writers used it poetically as a symbol of purity and gentleness and grace. And, and there the dove is through scripture. And we also see it in the New Testament. It's there, the symbol that comes, the spirit descends on him like as a dove. When Jesus is baptized, the Holy Ghost comes. And that symbol is there one more time of the promise that God won't leave us or forsake us. So sometimes in our most difficult season, sometimes in the most difficult place, sometimes with the least confidence that we've ever walked with, God says, I'm going to give you a song in this season. I'm grateful today for the help that the Holy Ghost brings. I don't know why God would use that symbolism. I, I don't know why that finds its way in Scripture. But it is. And it's in moments like these, in some people's life, that God wants you to know, I'm still giving you a song. His Spirit's at work in this room this morning, and the call for us to receive it is still as powerful as it was throughout the day today. But God's wanting someone to know that the promise is yours. God wants to turn the circumstance around. All is not lost. God isn't finished writing your story. 
I wonder if you'd stand together with me this evening. I find it interesting that that chapter, I understand that the content would be kept. It's God's word. I understand that those scriptures would have been very carefully committed to page and writ by scribes whose only job it was to maintain the integrity of the word of God. You know, those scribes, if they made one single small error, if there was a blot on the page, the page would be torn out and it would start all over again. Not a single word could have an error in it. They wanted it to be perfect so it could be passed down from generation to generation without any error. So I understand that that chapter would have made its way when David told the story of where the song came from or when he got the song. I understand that people would have, under, would, would have wanted to keep the integrity of that, that psalm pure. But I find it surprising that the little tagline that went along with it with the instructions to sing this song in this manner and this measure and to remember the silent dove in distant places. Because David knew what it was like to be in a distant place. And David knew what it was like for that dove to be quiet and silent when he would have loved the screaming eagle flying in. All David had was a silent dove. But the silent dove was enough. Enough to turn the tide. Enough to turn the circumstance in David's mind. Enough to go from a plea for help to a praise for God's greatness and goodness. Sometimes we mount up on wings like eagles, but sometimes it's just the silent dove in a dark place that we need, distant place that we need. And God's sending it today. It's about to turn someone's story around. It's about to turn someone's life around. It's about to give somebody hope that you didn't have 45 minutes ago. It's about to do that in somebody's life today. I don't know everybody's story, but I do know that when God begins to bring alignment in services like this where songs begin to flow and the words begin to flow, and there's just little elements that God puts in the forefront so we understand that we're, we're following the Word of God and that we're in the will of God and the mind of God today. It's so that you would know that God knows your story and He's not finished writing it yet. That's all right. Come on, there's help in the Holy Ghost right now. If you can just, come on, the one, the one thing that David did right is he didn't stop praying. He didn't stop in the middle of the story. I, 
come on. In my mind, I can see that. Him feigning madness. He acting like a crazed warrior. But somewhere in the midst of all that, he was beginning to pen the words that would author this song and this psalm in his life. Like David was about ready to turn it around right in the midst of the environment of the enemy. Thou preparest the table for me in the presence of mine enemies. And right there in the presence of his enemies, David, is he's getting a mental image that God's got it all in control. God is the author of my story. God's not finished with me yet. That's somebody's word tonight. Come on, let the Holy Ghost move in the room. Let it descend like a dove in this place. Could you just let it begin to flow into your life? Begin it. God, just begin a brand new work in somebody's spirit right now. You can turn it. Ma'am, you can turn it. Sir, you can turn it today. Your praise is beginning to turn it around. It's about time to go from a plea to a praise. It's about time to go from a, a request just to live to knowing that God's got your future in his hand. And it's great and he's not finished. The kingdom is coming, David, so don't quit now. You're going to ascend to the throne. God's going to use you greatly. God's got a purpose and a plan for your life. You gonna, Come on. It's all in the wings yet, so don't stop here. God's got more in store. Don't quit now. Don't stop now. We're going to begin to sing. I'm, I'm wondering if we could just fill this altar area for a moment. Because I believe God is strengthening some lives right now. We just want to solidify it. We just want to, come on, we just want to anchor this moment in our life. We, we want to anchor this word in our spirit. So we've got something to hang on to when the storm clouds begin to roll in and the wind begins to blow. 